Despite evidence that biodiversity and ecosystem services are relevant to every single one of the Sustainable Development Goals, they remain chronically undervalued and largely missing in the targets set by the SDGs. As the world is entering the last decade to meet the goals, a change in thinking and approach is needed. My name is Albert Nordström, and with me today I have Liz Selig, who is the Deputy Director at the Centre for Ocean Solutions at Stanford University, and Belinda Reyes from the Stockholm Resilience Centre here at Stockholm University. She's also the Research Chair in Sustainability Science at Future Africa Campus at the University of Pretoria in South Africa. They warn that unless action is taken, progress towards the goals is jeopardised. But the question remains, how can we better capture the role of biodiversity for sustainable development? Welcome to Rethink Talks. As mentioned earlier, with me today are Liz Selig, who's a Deputy Director at the Center for Ocean Solutions at Stanford University, and Belinda Reyes from the Stockholm Resilience Center here at Stockholm University, who's also the Research Chair in Sustainability Science at Future Africa Campus at University of Pretoria in South Africa. Both of them have had instrumental roles in the global assessment of the Intergovernmental Science Policy Platform on Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services, IPBES. And speaking of IPBES, it's one of two key acronyms we'll be making reference to today, including the SDGs. So let's just start by giving our listeners a quick rundown of what these two acronyms are. So um, I, it's a bit of an acronym alphabet soup, but um, the Intergovernmental Science Policy Platform on Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services, or IPBES, it's quite a mouthful, and um, it's the independent intergovernmental body established by various countries to strengthen the science policy interface for biodiversity and ecosystem services for the conservation and sustainable use of biodiversity, long-term human well-being, and sustainable development. When I talk to my mom about it, I like to say that it's like the IPCC, but for biodiversity and ecosystem services. And thanks, Albert. Um, the SDGs are actually 17 sustainable development goals that were agreed to by UN member states in back in 2015, which together aim to end poverty, protect the planet, and improve the lives and prospects of everyone everywhere by 2030. So now that we all kind of we're armed with the knowledge of what IPES and the SDGs are, let's just dive in to the topic at hand. And Liz. Last year, you and Belinda published a very well-received paper in Nature, Ecology and Evolution, warning that we need to better integrate biodiversity and ecosystem services into these big global sustainability development targets. Could you just tell us what led you to write this paper? Yeah, so Belinda and I met while working on the um, IPBES Global Assessment and we led the analysis to examine how the status and trends of biodiversity and ecosystem services are impacting the achievement of the SDGs. And to do that, we took a comprehensive review of 
the literature and the indigenous knowledge base for all of the targets where we felt that biodiversity and ecosystem services were relative, were, were important components of achieving that particular target. And even though we found that, that actually biodiversity and ecosystem services are key to achieving all of the SDGs, we could really only assess progress for half of the goals and only half of the targets within those goals. And a lot of that was because the targets, even ones like that are related to health or climate change, didn't acknowledge the linkages to biodiversity and ecosystem services. And we that, that sort of um, missing linkages were a key motivating factor for why we wanted to dig in deeper um, and, and make the argument for, for how we could better connect biodiversity and ecosystem services to the SDGs. Thanks, Liz. Um, Belinda, I mean, do you want to add anything to that, the concerns and motivations behind the paper? I, I think that that was, you know, it was very frustrating to have this enormous evidence base that shows that biodiversity and ecosystem services matter to every single one of the SDGs. And yet we could only say something about 35 of the targets in the end of that massive assessment. And I think as Liz points out in the paper, this isn't just a matter of semantics. You know, these have real consequences if we miss revealing the role of biodiversity and ecosystem services in targets for health or poverty or food security, both for biodiversity to have consequences, but also actually for being able to undermine the achievement of those kinds of targets. So we were quite motivated to try and address this gap and, and think about it in quite a different way. In the paper, um, I must admit I have read it. Um, Belinda, you highlight that a lot of experts now are suggesting that we need a more holistic, a more encompassing, a systemic approach for dealing with sustainable development goals and the internet connections between them, right? Yeah. Both of you suggest that we need to go one step further towards what you call a social ecological systems approach to setting targets. Could you tell us a bit more about this and try and clarify what social ecological systems approach is? I mean, basically, this boils down to the fact that in the SDGs and in sustainable development in general, we separate out the social, ecological and economic dimensions of sustainable development treat them separately, and then we're surprised that we don't make progress on any or all of them. And I think so many experts are trying to almost reconstruct this deconstructed approach through the use of systems approaches where they're endlessly mapping links between goals and targets. But we know that these links are very dynamic. They're actually quite context sensitive. What's good for an ecosystem in one place can be good for food security, but not in another place or at another time. And actually, we know that, you know, as they say, the whole system is more than or just different to the sum of its parts. And so what we wanted to do in this paper is to actually step back and say, what if we admitted that we're dealing with indivisible social ecological systems? What would sustainable development targets look like then? And we, we decided we would focus on the targets because they're really sort of um, the business end of the SDGs. They're where a lot of the action happens. And... There are 169 targets that, that, that basically set out the ambition of the higher level goals um, of the SDGs. And so the targets are really, we felt the best place to acknowledge the critical relationships between biodiversity and ecosystem services and to recognize the key feedbacks that, that also exist. 
Okay, thanks. I mean, we'll be trying to unpack some of those terms later on as well, feedbacks. But we'll just stay on the on the topic of, of targets. Um, you make the argument of why you focus on targets. And one of the recommendations in the paper is the necessity to move towards social ecological targets. Um, and again, Belinda, how are some different ways that we can develop social ecological targets within this this concept of, of sustainability goals? Yeah, so I think what we're, we're trying to really suggest is we need to move beyond this approach where we have a set of social targets like ending poverty and a separate set of ecological targets like protecting nature and start to focus on the interdependencies between these social and ecological targets. And so we term these social hyphen ecological targets. We're not saying social plus ecological. We're actually wanting targets that focus on those interactions and interconnections that connect things like poverty and nature um, or hunger and biodiversity. And we propose two different ways that we could start to develop these social ecological targets, remembering that this is a research paper. So we're trying to sort of set an agenda for researchers um, to focus on providing the data and the evidence and the methods for setting more social ecological integrated targets. And we have two avenues. I'm going to leave Liz to explain the first one with an example, which I think will be useful for readers. And then I'll come back to the second avenue. So in the, in the first avenue of socio-ecological targets, we focus on the quality of ecosystems, qualities of ecosystems that matter for development, sort of the support system role that biodiversity plays for development. And we argue that there's a need to move beyond targets that only capture ecological quantities like ecosystem extent or the number of species or even the area protected. And an example of, of why this becomes important, I think, um, if we look at the Great Barrier Reef um, and, and SDG 14, which is life underwater, the Great Barrier Reef has had a, an ecosystem-based management approach for many years, um, which many consider to be sort of the gold standard in, in, in management. And it covers a relatively large area of Australia's exclusive economic zone. And so you would think that actually, um, if you looked at the, the words in SCG 14.2 on sustainable management, that actually this, this system was doing really well. But at the same time, we know that the Great Barrier Reef has been just hit enormously hard by several bleaching events over the last several years. And so um, its integrity and function has been eroded um, by a loss of coral cover. And so a socio-ecological target would probably focus on measuring the aspects or qualities of biodiversity that ensure the ability of the reef to support fisheries, coastal protection, and other key ecosystem services, rather than just sort of the area um, that management covers or is, is protecting. So I think, you know, as you're hearing, Albert, it's not like we're, we're not saying things that people haven't said before, but we're trying to pull together this enormous literature that biodiversity ecosystem service scientists have been promoting in the sustainability space and trying to sort of structure it in a set of recommendations. And so the second recommendation we have for more social ecological targets is to really build off this enormous space we have of um, work and data and models of ecosystem services. 
and actually how we know social ecological systems interact to produce food or healthy communities or reduce vulnerabilities. And at the moment, targets for food or health or protecting the vulnerable hardly consider the role of ecosystem services. So this is a real obvious area for improvement. But further than that, we highlight in goals such as education, gender equality, equity and peace, there's almost no mention of the role of biodiversity or ecosystem services in supporting those goals. And we think that this is, again, another area where we need much more research and a sort of bringing together of what we know about the links between biodiversity and things like gender equality and ecosystem services and peace um, into these kinds of policy processes. I want to jump or stay within this topic of, of, of targets, um, taking a bit of another angle. You mentioned feedbacks earlier that, you know, there's a big necessity to acknowledge key social ecological feedbacks when setting these sort of targets. And that's a bit of a daunting term. Can you both just tell us a bit more about what these what feedbacks are in a social ecological system and then see if you can give us some examples to clarify in our own minds how these could be the basis of some targets? Basically, a feedback, very simply put, is when A affects B and B in turn affects A. And so you kind of get this feedback loop of A shaping B and B shaping A. And this can happen in sort of positive and reinforcing ways where you kind of get that cycle where A grows B grows A and so on and so forth. And you also can get it in a negative or dampening way um, where the feedback actually can prevent uh, something from going all out of control. And so you could take, for example, soil erosion. Soil erosion causes plants to die, which loses roots, which are holding the soil. So then more soil erodes, which causes more plants to die. That's a very simple sort of biological feedback. But um, in the context of social ecological systems, biodiversity and biodiversity loss lies at the heart of some really important feedbacks determining important sustainability outcomes. So for example, the interactions between climate change and biodiversity loss and the potential for that reinforcing sort of downward spiral which would reinforce the impacts of climate change are very large there on biodiversity loss. And similarly, there's some really important feedbacks in the food system, which we know so much about, and yet aren't captured at all in these targets. And so we suggested that while this is a bit difficult to try and think of how you would take a, an approach to feedbacks, we think that these feedbacks actually provide an entry point to clarify some of these key interdependencies between SDGs, biodiversity and ecosystem services. And Liz, maybe you could talk through one of the examples we use in the paper. Yeah, so I mean, I, when when we were doing this analysis, I was really struck by um, a couple a couple of targets that really jumped out at me for sort of a lack of acknowledgement of the key feedback. And one of them was um, the target that's around reducing oceanist the impacts of ocean acidification. Um, and that the current target really it focuses on reducing the impacts of ocean acidification on biodiversity, but it doesn't acknowledge or make it clear that ocean acidification itself is actually the result of a feedback of um, industrial and land use activities releasing greenhouse gases and causing climate change. And to me, if, if, if you're going to be effective in designing management interventions to meet this target, you know, you need to be more clearly linked to what's actually um, resulting in ocean acidification in the first place and, and focus on acknowledging the need to reduce greenhouse gases and the land use 
feedbacks that are really um, responsible for for driving climate change. Belinda, you want to add something yeah. to that? In some ways, this is beyond just suggesting a different target and almost reconfiguring how you would design your whole system of global targets um, to really be accounting for some of these feedbacks. And the reason why we came to this was there's some really key sustainable development goals on energy, on economic growth, on consumption and infrastructure that have incredibly important feedback effects on biodiversity um, and on other SDGs through sort of indirect and other feedbacks. But they depend so much on the pathway we take to achieve those goals. So at the moment, there's a target for uh, the proportion of renewable energies that countries should be aiming for. But it doesn't say anything about the kind of energy, the pathway to get to that renewable energy. And we know that there are potential feedbacks between, say, for example, hydropower um, and biodiversity loss that look quite different and would have quite different impacts on sustainability and potentially equity outcomes. So we argue that these feedbacks need to be made much more explicit in target setting and then in future indicator development to try and make these potential risks, the need for mitigation and these feedbacks clearer. Um, and also we, we kind of use this to emphasize why we think you need to go beyond just national targets, which is currently the focus of the SDGs, because so many of these feedbacks cut across regional and continental scales. Um, and we know this, especially in areas such as energy, economic growth, and trade. And we kind of call these as sort of missing or hidden feedbacks in current sustainable development policy. And we think that it's time that we have the data on these and really needs to be formulating better targets around these. So a globally integrated world requires global integrated targets, I guess. Wow. Yeah, exactly. I just want to come back a bit listen to your reflections um on this paper just very very quickly if you could just give us some thoughts i know it's a it's a difficult topic um but it feels that biodiversity seems to be completely underrepresented um in these big policy spaces and just your feelings as to why this is just some any quick reflections on why you think we've come to this situation We've been building over the last several decades a better understanding of how critical biodiversity and ecosystem services are for our well-being. Um, and I think, you know, within the research community, we, we have this very strong sense. But in fact, I would say a lot of the these key linkages are sort of only making their way into the general public discourse um, relatively recently. Uh, and so I mean, I'm, I'm somewhat guardedly optimistic that, that we're at a place where we're um, in a position to better recognize how, how critical biodiversity and ecosystem services are for our well-being. Um, and, I, and I think that in, in some ways the, the pandemic has, has highlighted our intertwined nature, um, human populations all over the world and and in some ways, the, the positive and negative connections that we have to the natural world um, in, in, in new and different ways that have that might shift our thinking. So with, a, with an optimistic lens on, I would say that I think there's a lot of opportunity to, to kind of to make some progress there. And as a marine scientist, the, you know, the, we're now entering the UN decade of ocean science for sustainable development, um, which is just kicking off and I'm, I'm hopeful that that can catalyze 
research to, to fill in some weak spots in our understanding there. But I, I, we, we do have some really daunting challenges ahead, um, particularly around climate change and equity issues that I think um, if, we're, if we're going to really have a chance at properly addressing the ambitions of the SDGs, we're gonna need to find some new and innovative pathways to really achieve impact at scale. Yeah, and if I think back then, you know, in 2019, we were releasing the findings of the FS Global Assessment, and they made it into all the major newspapers, you know, unprecedented decline, threatening human survival on planet Earth. And a few months later, the high-level Secretary General's report comes out of the UN Summit on Sustainable Development, and the word, other than under the biodiversity goal, in the SDGs, the words biodiversity, environment, and ecosystem services come up once each in that report and are not part of any of the cross-cutting priorities that have been identified for this decade of action. So I think this really spurred Lisa and I on to write this paper because we were very concerned that biodiversity is seen as, as just a goal in and of itself and not really as a means to an end for several of the other, um, all of the goals. Um, but I think it's quite remarkable how in the last 12 to 18 months, we've almost seen an about turn with, you know, the UN has just released their human development report at the end of 2020, which talks about how do we expand human freedoms in balance with the planet. Um, and so it seems as if, you know, the development sector is moving closer and closer to the environment sector. And we're seeing a lot more talk about how environment and development are no longer separate or indeed separable in some quite high level places. But I think there still are, are some fundamental challenges, both in sort of how we've measured biodiversity in the past in these kind of very quantitative species, wildlife focused ways, and how we need to think about measuring biodiversity as we move forward in more clearly demonstrably and linked um, ways to development. So I think it's both, this paper was sort of a call to arms for the biodiversity and ecosystem services community to start thinking along these lines, and many of them already. But I think it was also, you know, an attempt by us to try and see if there were opportunities to engage more in the development and sustainable development sector. And that's been that's been quite ex exciting. But as as Liz says, you know, there's some incredibly daunting challenges that lie ahead. Um, and how are we going to get ourselves out of this unequal and unsustainable rut of development that we find ourselves in um, is something that keeps me awake quite a few nights. Thanks both. I mean, it's it's great to hear some grounded optimism despite these massive, daunting challenges. Truly, um, I just thought, just a bit of a personal um, reflection now. I mean, working on a paper like this on a subject of this scope around such a daunting challenge. How is the process of working on a paper? I mean, is it a catharsis? Is it one way of just getting all the worries and all the concerns out? Um, in a kind of constructive way, or is it just something that is infuriating? Um, just give us some some behind the scenes tidbits of how it is working on a paper like this. Well, I, I mean, I think that the the process of IPBES definitely lit a fire um, under us to to really try to to tackle this, and it allowed us to kind of um, coalesce our thinking around some of the things. You know, IPBES is a, is is an objective assessment. But this allowed us to really dig deeper into what what would it look like if 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 we could design it over again, um, and and I think that was a really 
a, a fun challenge and, and a fun exercise. And I will also say, you know, that in this, in this world where I think we're, we're conducting more and more transdisciplinary science, um, so, you know, routinely working with economists and um, natural scientists and social scientists, this was a really unique opportunity to work cross system, which I realized we don't do that much, you know, where I'm a marine scientist by training um, and, and, and Belinda works largely in terrestrial systems. And there's a lot um, of perspective we bring from, from the systems that we know the best. Um, and it's, it's quite rare, actually. This is, I was thinking that this is probably one of the first cross system papers that I've done mm. in a long time that really looks at an issue um, uh, in a more integrative way. So that was, for me, a really exciting part of, of going through this process with Belinda. Yeah, and I think, you know, Albert, on that, um, we were both motivated through the IFBES process, but I think we we're both motivated to move beyond just yet another critique of the SDGs. You know, they're so flawed and everyone knows that they're flawed. They're the best attempt to try and highlight how we even start thinking about sustainable development in a unified sort of plan for people, planet and prosperity. And so we didn't want to be yet another paper saying these are terrible, they've made these mistakes. And, I, and so I, I found that quite um, challenging, but also a very joyful experience of, of thinking about, well, how could you do this differently? And then we really, you know, the editors and the reviewers really forced us to come back with concrete examples um, and walk them through some of the recommendations. And that was really quite a fun process too, hard to actually then look through the literature and say, well, here's an example, maybe, you know, at least to try and show some illustrative starting points for some of these at times quite abstract ideas. Would you say that the paper has been well received? Then have you gotten any any reactions, good or bad? Um, I think you know I, the reviewers were surprisingly positive and constructive. They really seemed to want to see a paper like this out there. Um, you know, they were they were tough reviews, but it was it was there was positive response, which is quite rare in my experience. Um, and then you know, as far as one can judge by something as kind of nebulous as a paper, there've been nice reactions on Twitter and I've been asked to speak about it to a variety of audiences. And perhaps most challengingly, I've been asked to speak about it and I know Liz has too, to people who are more involved in the actual policy processes of setting targets. Um, and so that's, I think, where we want to see the most exciting reception. Um, but I think time will tell, you know, this year is the year where we start seeing the description of new biodiversity targets. Um, and so we'll be able to see how much traction we have there. Great. Thank you very much, both of you, for taking the time to join me for this conversation. It's been extremely enjoyable. Thank you, Thank Albert. You. It's been great to be able to revisit this, the paper and the process. Yeah. Thanks to you both. You've listened to Rethink Talks, a podcast series produced by Stockholm Resilience Centre at Stockholm University. For more episodes, head over to our website, rethink.earth. And don't forget to subscribe.